0: I had been looking so hard for satisfaction and fulfillment through punching these buttons and pulling the right lever and thinking that, hey, man, I've done everything I've wanted in life. Why does it seem that this is so pointless and useless, even though it was still very important to me, especially the football part?
1: Welcome to The Search Podcast, where we have conversations about the big questions of God and life. I'm your host, Blaine Larson, and today I've got a very special guest, Bruce Matthews. Yes, that Bruce Matthews. NFL Hall of Famer, amazing, amazing guy, and what's more amazing is that Bruce is now on Search's staff in Houston, Texas. And we're gonna hear all about his amazing career and what led him to be doing what he's doing now with us. So, Bruce, thank you so much for being my guest on the podcast.
0: My pleasure. Great to be <laughs> great to be here, Blaine.
1: You're not nervous, are you? No. <laughs> no, it's it's great to be here with you. We're actually recording in your house. I got a little access to the Inside of the the Matthews compound here in Sugarland, um, so if, if somebody didn't know that you played football, they would know if they came over.
0: Yeah, it's pretty much all my kids' uh, memorabilia. Mine doesn't rate anymore.
1: <laughs> Not as important anymore, right. is it? Well, well, let's start at the beginning because I I do want this to be about your story because you've had an amazing life. You were born and raised down in Southern California, and I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about your family and your upbringing there.
0: Actually, I was born in Raleigh, North Carolina, and lived back oh there until about nine years old. We moved around a bunch. My dad was uh, my dad actually played in the NFL for the 49ers back in the 50s. Um, then he went into the corporate world, very successful Moved around, climbing the corporate ladder, and then about fourth grade, we moved to Southern California, and uh, we have five kids in the family. Um, My older brother, Clay, my older sister, Christy, and two twin brothers, Brad and Raymond. But uh, yeah, it was a great family. Um, My dad never pushed sports on us. Um, He was very much about... uh, the way you present yourself as a man. There was a certain way of doing things. Um, you're a man of your word. If you shook hands, that was that meant more than any piece of paper or contract that you might sign. Um, when I played sports, he only had a few rules. It was you better play full speed, um, do what the coach says, and volunteer for everything. So uh, otherwise, he said, I, I'll come and snatch you off the field. So that was <laughs> – Other than that, he really didn't uh, pressure us.
1: But your dad was fairly athletic, correct?
0: Yeah, my dad was a great athlete. Uh, He grew up in Charleston, South Carolina, got a football scholarship to uh, Georgia Tech, got his industrial engineering degree down there. He was a heavyweight wrestling champion at Georgia Tech. He was the heavyweight Golden Gloves boxing champion of Georgia two years, and then he played in the NFL, so... Uh, needless to say, I didn't back talk my dad too much.
1: <laughs> Doesn't sound like it. Now, uh, you and your brothers, it, from what I gather, are a fairly competitive bunch. How young did that start?
0: Oh, gosh. Like I said, we moved around a bunch. Um, so I'm not the most socially gifted guy. So We were our own best friends, and we would play games, make up games all the time. Um, Brad and Raymond, my my brother Clay's the oldest one, and then Brad and Raymond, the twins, were in between us, and uh, they had special needs. But it basically was two-on-two basketball or two-on-two any game, and uh, we'd hammer on the twins just like, they were normal. They they were part of the deal as the Matthews family, you know, no quarter given. So, uh, yeah, I grew up. Clay was really the person that I aspired to be like. He was five years older than me. Um, when we moved to Southern California, he was really undersized in ninth grade. And then he went through a growth spurt and uh, got a scholarship to USC to play linebacker. So, I wanted to play linebacker. my brother's playing linebacker, he's my favorite player. Um, I got a little bigger, a little more well-marbled, if you will. (laughs) Um, And I gravitated towards the offensive line. But I went to USC like my brother. And again, um, he was my favorite player. He got drafted in the first round by the uh, Cleveland Browns. And it was my goal to... Kind of do what he did.
1: So, at what point did you know you were especially talented as an athlete? Uh, Yeah, when did it become apparent that you know you you gifted more than the average person?
0: I really, I mean, growing up, I loved baseball. I wanted to be a catcher in the major leagues. Uh, Played all sports, whatever the season might be, and then kind of outgrew baseball. Um, The umpires would complain that they couldn't see. (laughs) <laughs> to call balls and strikes.
1: Literally out yes, baseball. Yes,
0: absolutely. Not many 6'4", 235 catchers. That's what I weighed uh, my senior year. But uh, got a scholarship to USC. And at the time, um, you know, we had it going on at SC. They had just won the national championship. Just some amazing, great players there. And my whole thing was... I just want to get a scholarship, then I accomplish that goal, I want to start, then, uh, you know, hopefully have a career, and who knows, maybe I get lucky enough, I get drafted into the league.
1: So before we really go into that phase of your life, because it's just, it's amazing, and I know there's a, a bunch of stories I want to ask you about that people are going to want to hear about. Um Really, childhood through college, talk about your religious upbringing and background, and what was that like in your family, and what conception of God did you have? Right. Um,
0: we didn't go to church really and and like i said we had a very strong moral compass in terms of doing what was right my mother was born and raised in uh, fayetteville north carolina actually met my dad he was also a paratrooper at fort bragg there um i think she was folding and packing uh parachutes and that's how they met which in itself is a great story but my mother was a very sweet um appealed to everyone being a good person but like i said we really didn't go to church it was more you do the right thing you uh take care of your business and you'll be all right um we didn't have many conversations about god um i knew there was something to this god thing you know i was a good student in school i was a good a well-behaved student most of the time and uh that was kind of the deal, but it was more about, hey, I saw this example my, my brother was setting, and I want to do that. That seems like if I punch my ticket doing that, you know, play well in high school, you get a scholarship, and then take it from there.
1: So you you get to USC, you get the scholarship, you're starting. Um, tell us a little bit about your college career and then how you wound up in the NFL.
0: Right. Uh, just amazing talent at SC when I was there. My freshman year, just exclusively on the offensive line, we had six future first-round draft picks. I mean, there's a lot of schools who haven't had one first-round pick, but we had the likes of Anthony Munoz, Brad Buddy, but there were six of us. And I remember calling my dad my freshman year and saying, man, Dad, college football is really hard. And he laughed, and in hindsight, I can see why he laughed, but (laughs) yeah, they were pretty good. Um, yeah, played at SC, uh, again, it was, I knew that it was an opportunity to compete every day in practice against the best. And, um, I was very competitive. Um, didn't say a lot, but I hated to lose. And, uh, like I said, I, I went out there and I tried to abuse people (laughs) and, uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it came naturally to me. And I really was kind of shocked that I had as much success as I did. And to be honest, uh, I had no conception of uh, what the NFL thought about me. In fact, we went to one of the scouting combines um, in January of my senior year down in Tampa Bay. And a guy came up to me and he said, Bruce, I'd like to introduce myself to you. I'm Bill Parcells. I'm the new head coach of the New York Giants. And if you're available, we're going to take you with the 10th pick in the first round. And my jaw hit the floor. Cause I thought, I knew we had had some good guys come through there, but, and I was thinking, yeah, I can play. I'm, I'm as pretty good as those guys, but 10th pick in the first round and I, I couldn't believe it. So I've always kind of been a Bill Parcells fan <laughs> <laughs> because he w- he was going to take me, but uh, the Oilers dra- drafted me with the ninth pick in the first round.
1: Wow. Wow. And so it sounds like that you had a goal to be drafted, but you didn't necessarily know what it took to be there. So you is that right? You just So you just worked as hard as you possibly could and gave it every ounce of effort that right. you could and hoped that it worked out.
0: Like I said, very competitive, whether it was uh, workouts in the weight room or running conditioning, it was always go time. And uh, to this day, to a fault, um, I can get very competitive, uh, whether we're playing old man doubles tennis league uh, I, I need to find a way to win, whether it's me playing better or me dragging my opponent down below me <laughs> with smack talk. But, um, no, it. Uh, like I said, I, I really didn't know. I knew, all right, I want to get a scholarship. I want to start, and hopefully I get drafted. I met my wife, Carrie, at USC, checked the box on that. And then got drafted and then uh, went down to the Oilers in 1983, and we were terrible. And uh, it was like, wow, you've done everything. You've kind of set out and set as a goal for yourself. But, man, is this really it? So that's where I was.
1: And I don't want to skip this particular point of your story, but while you were at USC, you got a degree, so, <laughs> you weren't one of these athletes that kind of skated through. And you actually got a very difficult degree, an engineering degree.
0: Yeah. Uh, ask my dad, hey, Dad, what should I major in? He goes, I majored in industrial engineering at Georgia Tech. And he goes, You're good at math and science you may as well do it. And I was very fortunate. uh, had two teammates who were freshmen as well, who were also engineering students. So we had some camaraderie in our engineering classes. And yeah, I graduated in four years. Didn't think much of it. Wasn't the greatest student. Did just enough to get by. Actually, about uh, midway through my junior year, I kind of go, you know what? I'm sick of getting C's and just pass it. I'm going to start studying. And I started getting A's and B's. It was this amazing phenomena. So uh, yeah, graduated in four years. Didn't think much of it till I got in the league and guys are like, you graduated? <laughs> yeah, you didn't. And that really wasn't the case a lot back in the day.
1: Yeah. So when you finally make it to the NFL, what was different about college football versus the NFL? Well,
0: the best part was you didn't have to go to class.
1: For sure. <laughs> it yeah. was
0: uh football twenty-four seven and nothing like it is today. It's so much more now regimented with walkthroughs. They uh they busy you so much now. Um, yeah, we we hit hard in practice, we uh got after it, a lot of needless Shots to the head. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we were 2-14 and 14 my rookie year. But what we had done is um, you might have heard Bum Phillips mm-hmm. and the Love You Blue Oilers. That was right before I got drafted. And the team was going into a total rebuild mode. So we drafted a bunch of young guys, so it was actually a very healthy environment because you had a lot of young guys trying to make their name, and uh we didn't win many games, we went two and fourteen, three and thirteen, five and eleven, five and eleven until we finally broke through and made the playoffs. Wow, so
1: you had is that five seasons four four? Wow. what point in there do you and Carrie start having kids? Uh that was our
0: third year. We had Stephen, our first son, in 1985. And then uh about a year and a half every <laughs> every year after that had uh seven children, five boys, two girls, Kevin in 87, Marilyn 88, Jake in 92, Mikey in 94, Luke in 99 and Gwenny in 2003. Wow. Yeah.
1: So I, I want to ask you a question about that that I think a lot of people listening might want to know, which is: you had a very demanding career that you are incredibly passionate about, and this large family all at the same time. What advice do you have for people that are maybe in a similar situation of how to how to do all of that well?
0: I. I was very uh, blessed that Carrie's, my wife, and uh, she knew what was required of me to be the best that I could be. And, uh, you know, so she really took care of the home front. And for me, hanging out with the kids that was like my leisure activity because I wasn't much older than them um, emotionally. So it was a good fit, you know, playing with kids, playing video games, playing out in the yard, going swimming, watching TV, whatever the case may be. So, um, no, I really enjoyed it. Um, like I said, I'm very thankful for my wife and that um, I never had to worry about what was going on with the kids Um and then when I did have free time, I loved spending the time with my family.
1: Well, it's 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 obvious because y'all are still so close, which is just an amazing thing, great thing. Um, at what point does God become something that you are seriously starting to think about? Uh, my
0: rookie year also. Uh, we had a team chaplain named Greg Heddington, and uh, we— would have a Friday after-practice little Bible study. And there were only three, four, five guys on the most crowded days. But we had a a big nose guard named Mike Stensrud who was part of uh, the Love You Blue era. He's kind of on the tail end of his career, nicknamed Mongo. And he invited me. And he was the first guy I knew— I knew that his faith was very important to him. He had been through some things marriage-wise and uh drinking and stuff like that that he had dealt with and I but he was like one of the nicest guys, fun-loving. You know, he's the type of guy you're walking back to the huddle, you're going against him full speed in practice and he's flicking you in your weak spot, you know, you double over or you do a fake fight with him in practice and uh I'm like I like this dude. Uh, This is the kind of guy that I could hang out with, and he invited me as well to that uh, Bible study. And I became friends with Greg Haddington, and he kind of took me under his wing and discipled me, and it was then that I prayed to receive Christ. It was like I said, I I knew there was something to God. I, I didn't understand all the ins and outs, but I knew it was something I wanted to have as part of my life
1: and was there any particular thing that really grabbed you about the message of Christianity when you heard it at that point in your life i just it it
0: made the big picture kind of come into focus and secondly i think i had been looking so hard for satisfaction and fulfillment through punching these buttons and pulling the right lever and thinking that hey man i I've done everything I've wanted in life. Why does it seem that this is so pointless and useless, even though it was still very important to me, especially the football part? I always had uh, um, kind of self-conversations with myself thinking, wow, people think I'm this real cool guy because I push 300-pound guys around maybe six or eight inches, and I'm being told I'm a great person because of that. And I it, it never really jived with me because I knew I understood physics and stuff, so I was good at that part. But um, it was like, wow, this is all kind of hollow. And um, the Christian aspect of my life that I was doing it for God instead of just the benefit I might get out of it
1: really resonated with me as well. And so that begins to make a difference in in your life as as it does for all of us who come to to believe. We're we're going to pick up that part of your story here in a minute. Um talk to us a little bit about just your career and I've got a couple of questions that I want to ask you just about about football. So we're We're recording here the week before the Super Bowl in 22, and so this will probably come out, uh, you know, at least a few months after we're recording this today. Um, But when I think about the Super Bowl, you got to play in a Super Bowl, and I would love to know, I think everybody would love to know a little of your experience and what it's like to play in that high pressure of a game.
0: Uh, 22 years ago, 2000, I was on the Titans after the Oilers had moved to Tennessee. Uh, we played the Rams in the Super Bowl. It little uh, tidbit, it was the last Super Bowl, I believe, that was played only one week after the, the conference championship games. So the timetable we were on was just Horrible. It was like we came back from Jacksonville having won the AFC championship, had to go immediately to our facility, had a meeting on Sunday night after we had won the championship, and uh, we're talking about Super Bowl tickets and what a huge distraction that they're going to be. So that was kind of unique to it. Um, We played in Atlanta. There was a huge ice storm, and just getting the families in logistically was a nightmare for the the whole operation. Uh it was so busy that it wasn't until um I go out early with the punters and snappers, because I uh long snapped and did the snaps on field goals. I was going out early and Tina Turner, who was doing the uh the anthem, I believe, was standing right outside our locker room and I shook her hand. I'm thinking, all right, this is kind of what I think the Super Bowl's all about. After that, it was kind of a blur. Um, I don't know if you recall, we got down like 17 to nothing, and uh, we kind of got away from our identity as a smash-mouth, kind of get-after-your-football-team in the first half. Second half, we were not going to be denied. We came out uh, running the ball, um, and the Rams— were ready to give in. They were ready to concede because we were just beating the hell out of them. But we ended up tying the game with an amazing drive uh, at the end. The Rams get the ball back. They throw a touchdown pass the first play. We have to go out again, and we are just gassed. But the good thing you know is if I'm gassed as an offensive player, that means the defensive guy's even worse. So we drove all the way down the field, uh, fully intent on sending it to overtime. Um, it's the old one yard short play. Kevin Dyson from, uh, Steve McNair caught the pass was tackled one yard short. And that was it Yeah, game over. I literally was blocking my guy ran downfield or maybe quick walked by that time. I was a little <laughs> gassed and our, tunnel to the end zone was right there. And I literally walked off the field, didn't give it a second thought. It's like, it's over. And very disappointing. Funny thing now is, um, whenever NFL films will p- play the uh, highlights of our game, I always think we're going to come back and win. It's just, it's <laughs> too too good a story not to have it finished right.
1: No kidding. So how did your faith impact how you dealt with that loss or did it i mean is it a is it a crushing defeat i mean that's the super bowl it's the it's the pinnacle of your profession and you lose it by a yard i mean how does that affect you how does your faith play into how you think about that
0: i think i took my faith uh from the perspective that all right god's given me these talents Talents and abilities, I want to use them the best I can. And it kind of manifested itself early on with, I did stuff as a player I wasn't necessarily proud of. And what I mean by that is uh, driving guys after the whistle, doing the little stuff that might be on the, uh, the precipice of being illegal, but... It was very effective in terms of uh, how I had success on the field. But, um, you know, I remember screaming at officials, using not-so-good language when they dare call me for a holding call because I never held in my life. And uh, it just, even the Super Bowl, that was such, we had invested ourselves so much um, in that second half. And we were so gassed that it almost was a relief. I mean, I was very disappointed, but, uh, yeah, I, in terms of my faith and how it affected me based on
1: that loss, it didn't
0: really bother me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So as you think back on your career, you had 19 seasons and I believe, uh, third on the list of number of games played without without breaking it, without being injured, not missing a game. Is that still right?
0: Yeah, I played 19 years, which my brother played 19 years. He's played the most games by a linebacker. So I'm like, hey, I may as well get 19 uh, like my brother. And that's something I'm very proud of, that my brother also has the record. Um, Yeah, I was just blessed, Blaine. Um, God gave me and my brother bodies that you could beat the crud out of, and we would bounce back. And I'm not saying this from um, like a macho thing where I, I felt like I can play through this injury or something. I literally didn't feel bad. I felt good. And to be perfectly honest, we're in the middle of our 19th or my 19th year, And as the weather cooled, my play started to take off. You know, when it's hot, it's like, oh, my gosh, just get me through the game. But as the weather cooled, especially in Tennessee, I I felt like my performance improved. And um, I was thinking, wow, maybe I got a 20th year in me. But then I had a couple deals where I pulled a muscle during a game, had to take myself out. But it— I didn't think that much of it when I was playing. I thought, yeah, everybody feels this way. And it really wasn't until I got on the coaching side where you deal with players who have injuries and you have to accommodate for them missing a game. I'm like, wow, that that was pretty incredible that I was blessed so much and I never missed a game due to injury.
1: Yeah, it's really amazing. I think you're you're behind uh, Tom Brady and Brett Favre. Is that right? Something like that. Something like that. You know,
0: those quarterbacks, they they don't get hit They're most protected. of the time. They're protected. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so when you think back, here's where I was going with all that. When you think back over those 19 years, give us one of your favorite, just pure football stories that happened to you that you love to tell.
0: I uh, So my brother Clay played linebacker. Um, I'm an offensive lineman, so we're on the field at the same time. We're in the same conference, the old AFC Central, where the Browns and the Oilers and the uh, Titans eventually would be. Um, And so we played them twice a year. So going up to Cleveland— And playing in the old dog pound was an absolute treat for me every time I went. And they intentionally would put the visiting team in the dog pound where all the rowdy drunk fans would be. And I'd always turn to make sure that uh, they could read my nameplate on the back of my jersey because, hey, Matthews, why don't you come up here and play with your brother? (laughs) And it it was so awesome. And to be able to play not only against – your, uh, your favorite player, my brother, but to play at the stadium where he was so appreciated and adored. Um, we ended up playing 23 times. Um, it was like 11 and 12 or 12 and 11. I can't remember who won the most. Um, I tell the story in 1986, he, uh, beat me for a sack. He, Told me after the game he felt bad about it, but I don't believe him. Um I figured, hey, if somebody's got to beat me for a sack, may as well be your brother. Um it, it just was such a cool thing. And I've gotten to do so many things like that that I I don't believe many people have had the opportunity to experience. And I'm not just talking about game day, I'm talking about the week of preparation going into the game, that your offensive coordinator is standing in front of the room, hey, we got to take care of Bruce's brother. You know, he's playing well, uh, the tight end here, the tackle here. You guys really got to be on your game. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, are you kidding me? This is awesome. You know, it. it I love sports growing up. I was a huge fan. I'd lay on the floor watching games as a kid. But it was like I got a backstage pass for these 23 opportunities with my brother. And um, I, I think as time goes by, I appreciate it more and
1: more. Well, it's it's just an amazing thing that uh, almost no two people get to have that experience. I mean, what a, what a, what a cool thing. Um, 19 years in the league in 2007, you're elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And then recently, within the last year or two, and it might have been last year, you know, I don't know for you, these since 2020, all the years run together, man. It's like I can't figure out which one it was. But you were also named one of the top 100 players of all time and honored at the Super Bowl. Um, When you think about the Hall of Fame top 100 players, what do those accomplishments mean to you in your life? Well,
0: Blaine, like I said, I grew up, I was very proud of the fact that my dad played for the 49ers in the 50s. He, I wasn't born when he played. And then absolutely loved going and watching my brother play uh, his games. So I, I was this kid who was given, like I said, the backstage pass. And uh, then to be recognized for the Hall of Fame and stuff, I mean— there are guys like Gale Sayers and Joe Namath and Jim Brown and Deacon Jones, and it's like, are you kidding me? What is wrong with this picture? And it's like me being in that room. It 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 just was an amazing thing to be numbered with these guys. And then, like you said about the top one hundred team, it was just like, I, I can't. I never would have fathomed that anything like this would have happened to me. Um, I love sports. I love playing them. I love competing. But it totally was a God thing for me to be able to do what I did on the field and have the kind of success that I had. And um, it's very
1: humbling. So since your retirement, you've uh, you, you coached some – but in recent years, I alluded to this that you've joined the staff of Search in Houston, and you're working full time. This is your second career. Is is working with us, and kind of like you, uh, not really feeling like you fit in at the Hall of Fame and going, "How did I get here?" Uh, we go, "How did we get you?" <laughs> this doesn't seem to fit, but we're uh, we don't want to mess it up, and and we're thankful. But I, I want to know that story. Why, why do what you're doing with search? How'd you get connected to us? Why are you giving your life to this
0: now? Yeah, uh, so when I accepted Christ my rookie year, I've always been kind of a program guy. I knew what I would be doing, what time of year it would be, basically every day, and it was set up that way. So my faith kind of took on that same kind of, Approach, and it was like, all right, I'm going to quit drinking. All I listen to is Christian music. I'm going to try and drive the speed limit. Uh, you know, <laughs> at least some still of the working time. on all those, yes, right? Yeah. And so I had, I was changing it and corrupting it into uh, religion whereas God is desiring a relationship with us. And um, when we got fired, I was coaching with the Titans in 2014, came back in 2015, and Paul Hicks, who is our Houston director, um, led a search group, a foundations group, going through the basics of what our faith should be. And I heard the gospel from a completely different dynamic where it wasn't about what I had done. It was totally about what Christ had done for me on the cross. And so that was just life-changing to me. And then to get into some of the apologetic questions, areas that I would be just deathly fearful that somebody might ask me a question about, you know, what happens Why does God allow bad stuff to happen to good people? It was like, I don't know, and I don't have a good answer for that. And there was information there. It made sense to me. It just completely bolstered my faith, and my relationship with God changed as a result. And really, Paul uh, challenged me um, when—I can't remember which book it's in, but— We were talking about how one of Jesus's first commands was he commanded the disciples to come and follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And then at the end of his ministry in the Great Commission, he said, um, help me out.
1: Go. Go and make Make disciples. disciples.
0: Yes. Big impact on me. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, I realized that I was kind of hiding behind my shield of, if something is uncomfortable, then I want no part of it. And it was just an amazing thing to happen when I went and I trusted God, even though I didn't feel like it, even though I was still uncomfortable, but to engage with people on their spiritual journey, to help them draw closer to God, and it was like, God equip me to be able to do that. And I'm like, this is the coolest thing I've ever been associated with in my life. And I've done, by the world's standards, I've done some pretty awesome things. But this was, hands down, the coolest thing I've ever been involved with. And I, um, I still kind of went kicking and screaming because the uncomfortable factor, that's kind of always been my gauge. Hey, you don't want to do it? then don't do it. But God you know, calls us to make disciples. And um, when I started taking it from that perspective and just being obedient to what Jesus
1: called us to do, it's just been an amazing journey. So million-dollar question is, I can imagine a lot of people listening to this going, Bruce, why do you even need God? okay? Forget even the ministry side of your life that you're devoting yourself to, but just in general, why do you need God? You, you're you one of the most successful people on the planet by any way that we measure it, at least here in America, Um, done well in all kinds of ways that most people can't even dream of. They think if if they're as successful as you were in your career, in and they're that way in theirs, that they they be set. Why do you need? Why do you need God?
0: I think Blaine, the biggest thing, and I think so many people share this uh, same phenomena as me. Kind of, some people call it a midlife crisis. They do everything they think. That they were called to do to bring happiness and contentment and joy and peace to their life. And it's a big goose egg. And I found that when I'm obedient to God, then I have peace in my life. I mean, not to mention the eternal benefits of heaven, but I know that what a privilege it is to be able to do this and to share in people's journey. Getting closer to God, and uh, that's that's really the answer in a nutshell.
1: Well, and and we were talking a little bit before we we started here that accomplishments as as great as they are, it, it, and, and I think anybody it doesn't have to be an, an amazing accomplishment. It can be think of just something that if you're listening to this, something that you've done that you're proud of. You know that it wears off over the, the impact of that, that, that high you get from achieving something wears off. And then you're just a guy again.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I used to not necessarily grow weary of telling my story in terms of football um, because, yeah, it does. It wears thin. It loses its luster. But now it's just an opportunity to find common ground with people because so many people love the game of football, especially down here in Houston and now that my uh, my oiler fans are kind of aging out, you you ask a young kid around here you, you remember the oilers? Ah, my dad told me about it. He used to throw stuff at the TV when you <laughs> <laughs> when you'd blow a lead but uh I think about um, sharing that and just like i said creating common ground to take our conversation a little further and talk about the big questions in life and it's um again it's i'm still learning um like you said or alluded to a little earlier i'm shocked that i'm involved with an organization like search but i'm i'm really excited to be here and it's really a privilege
1: well, it's a privilege, like I said, for us to to have you as part of Search. Um, just, It's an amazing thing, Bruce, and I want to thank you for being my guest here on the podcast and letting me come here and uh, see part of your home and, and uh, get to interview you here. It's kind of special, so thank you so much for being on the podcast today. My pleasure. And to all of you who are listening, if you like this podcast or any of the other ones that we've done, Please rate and review us anywhere that you listen to podcasts. And until next time, thanks for listening.